to welcome you today and so glad that you're in the house of the Lord. This is God's place and you're in his place and we're going to have a great, great morning service here and, and, uh, and, and I just want to welcome our guests that might be with us today. Take a moment and fill out that green card, would you? And Because we write you a note this week and, and everything like that. But we are happy that you're here. And uh, God is going to do good things today, I believe, in your life. And, and uh, he's got a word for you today that, uh, that's going to have an impact in your life. I've got a word that I want to read to you today. So would you stand as we read from his word, the Bible? <clears throat> I want to read from Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. And this is a verse, this first verse that I read. Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is a verse that literally sets the stage for the entirety of the remainder of the New Testament. Everything that happens from verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, this is why it's happening. Listen to this. But you shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, of Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood beside them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. There's a huge clue there, isn't there? God is going to return in the way he left, coming from the clouds and to receive his church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. We're glad to be in the house of the Lord today. We're glad to be <coughs> among the children of God, the saints of God. Father, I pray today, may this, may this entire service have a sense of your presence and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Father, I pray that you'll create within every one of our hearts a desire and a hunger and a longing for more of Christ today. We want to be close to him. We want the, our desire is that he would come among us and touch and speak into our hearts this morning. So, Father, I pray, may the blessing of God flow like a mighty river, a stream of blessing that would come through this church, <coughs> touching so many people's hearts and lives. Let the people of God rejoice and be blessed of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Would you turn this morning in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark? The Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. <coughs> It comes up as Mark chapter 13, verse 8. I'm going to expand that just a little bit and uh, to, to what I believe is going to give you a better picture of what Jesus is talking about. These are the words of Jesus. Now, he's talking about some things that are yet to come, but also we see these things beginning to happen in our culture today. I want to begin reading uh, in verse 5. Jesus is answering some questions by his disciples 
And he says this, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, because such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. I want you to know something, folks. We see, the, we see these things happening right now. Nations coming against nation. In the, uh, what is, I, I, this, uh, I forgot the name of it, the proper name of it, but we used to live in Alaska. We had earthquakes all the time up there. But they've never had more seismic activity in that Alaska area and the Aleutian chain than they've had in the last month. So there is a lot of things that are happening. There are people that are starving to get death in many parts of the world. And so we see the famines. We see these things occurring in our day. Verse 9 says, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to the nations. I'm going to stop right there. I don't think there's a week that passes. And this has been going on quite, quite some time now. I don't believe a week passes in which I have somebody approach me, somebody that may be in our church, Oftentimes, it's people that are not in our church, but will come up and say, can you believe what is happening in our culture today? Can you believe uh, what is happening in our world today? Does this have any bearing on what the Bible says about the end times? There's many, many people that know something about the end times. They don't know too much, oftentimes, but they know that there is a subject called the end times. And it opens a tremendous door to be able to speak to people, to speak into people's lives about what God is doing in this day and this age. There is something that is going on. It is powerful. And God tells us about it in his word. He speaks about it in his word. For those here who know God, the sense of the future should not be something that is troubling to you, but it should be something that comes to you with great anticipation. There's an anticipation today and a comfort today to, <coughs> to know that our lives, that our lives are aligned with God and that God, <coughs> excuse me, and that God has given us favor. I believe there are key things to keep in mind when it comes to the future Number one, I want you to remember this, and remember these things this morning. God is sovereign, and that means that God is in total control over everything. Don't get worried about something when you see in the paper or hear on the news and say, my goodness, what is God doing about this? What is Did something happen that God didn't know anything about it? Listen, listen carefully. God knows what's going on. God has set the stage. Listen to what he says here in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9. For I, am the, for I am God and there's no other. 
I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. God is in charge. Number one, that's the one thing I want you to remember. Number two, the second thing to remember about the future is that the Bible outlines what is going to be happening. The Bible gives us clear indication. The Bible gives us his story. The Bible tells us what we can expect in the future. Now, as I mentioned in my class this morning, you're not going to find that necessarily in one spot. You can say, well, I will read the book of the Revelation and I will find out all about what God is doing. That is a great place to read, but it's not going to give you the final picture. You need to read other things in the Bible, other things that bring things that are occurring here into a better and sharper focus. You read the book of Daniel. You read the book of Ezekiel, especially chapters 37, 38, and 39. You need to read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and what we read this morning in Mark 13 and also in Luke 21. These are important passages also, the Thessalonian letters is a real gateway as to what the Lord is doing today and what he intends to do in the future. Do not be deceived, the Bible says. God wants us to know the truth, not be afraid of the truth, but to march forward in the truth in our lives. The Bible is God's revelation to humanity. And since God controls the future, when God speaks about the future, we can believe it. It's true. This truth is evident because the Bible has never once been wrong. I want to move forward with this message and, and I want to answer some very common questions that occur concerning Bible prophecy. First question, are we living in the last days? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, we are. I remember an old saying that I've heard since I was a little kid, and I think there's a lot of truth in it. And the old saying is like this, red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. Now, I know that's not accurate, that's not accurate weather or anything like that, and you won't find an app for it. But I, ha I do happen to believe that. When I look into the eastern sky and I see the reddishness, the reddishness of that sunrise, I can usually count on the fact that it's going to be raining soon. The weather is going to be changing. Something is going to be different. And that's what we see today as we open up God's word. We can take God's word. We can take a newspaper in this hand and his word in this hand. And we can see, we can literally see the prophetic word of God being fulfilled in today's headlines. It's astounding. And yet it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. I want to suggest there are a number of signs that are clearly pointing to the, to the rapture of the church and other events of the end times. As people think and read these signs, we need to be careful. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said here in verse number 5. Take heed that no one deceives you. There's all kinds of deception out there. You don't have to look too far to find it. It's there, and there's plenty of it. 
And I, sometimes people stop me as they go out the door and say, have you read this? Did you see this? And I want to, and I often do say to them, you know what? I don't read that, and I didn't see that. I spend most of my time right here. Not that I'm not a book reader. I am. I go through books like, I go through ice cream. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> Tomorrow, two books are going to be arriving in my place. And uh, when I have a downtime this week, if, there's a, if there is such a thing at this deal, I'm going to be reading a book. I love books. But I'm not going to be deceived. I read the book with this Bible wide open. I want to know the truth of God, not just because this guy said it, and not just because he's popular or something like that. I want to know the truth of God's word. Amen. Thank you. I think there's plenty of speculation that goes around and leaves persons confused. I saw a post on social media, and I don't usually respond to these things too much because they're usually crackpots that write them, and I just don't want to see my name associated with them in any way. But on one weekday, I did. I saw this post, and it went like this. The trumpets of the revelation are about to sound. And in the background, here's a picture. Here's these trumpets, and here's a city going up in flames and all kinds of things. <laughs> this is pretty evil stuff. And, uh, and so I thought, you know, I'm not going to let you get away with this. The trumpets are about to sound. I said, no, they are not. Not until the rapture happens. And oh, man. <laughs> oh, they piled on. Whew. I saw one just this week, I think it might have been new, and it says, already the Antichrist is already, already preparing himself to take over. And I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you because you're nice people. No, he's not. Not until the rapture takes place. There's a host of speculation. It's all around us, and we see it, and uh, somebody knows something as to Jesus and so they say, yeah, we know when he's going to return. You can expect it because this is going to happen and this is happening and over here this will happen. And that means that Jesus has to come back right here. No, he doesn't. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Understand me clearly. I want this to be crystal clear. Jesus can come back before this service ends. There is absolutely nothing in all of the Bible. Not one minute scripture hidden away in books that we don't even read. <clears throat> Jesus can come anytime he wants. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Don't let anybody tell you they've got it figured out. There's been a whole host of those people that had it all figured out and they were left wanting. There's no reputable Bible teacher that can accurately say or predict the coming of Jesus in fact, the Bible clearly states that, to, that, uh, that, we are to, that we are not to engage in date setting and wild speculation. You will not hear wild speculation here this morning. I'm simply going to share with you Bible truth. Keep in mind, the, religion, uh, the religious people of Jesus' day totally missed the signs of the first advent of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. They missed the Messiah, despite the fact that Bible prophecy heralded the coming of Jesus. And I can tell you this, as we read our Bible, and again, 
take that newspaper, put it in one hand, and read the Bible in the other, and you see it being fulfilled. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Number two, should Christians study Bible prophecy? This is a question that I will answer with an affirmative yes, absolutely. Here is why. If God is giving us information about something, uh, then it must be important, and then we need to discover how to apply it to our lives. We need to understand how to live in these turbulent times, in these times before the arrival of Jesus. I can tell you, just off, off my thought, my thought, we need to be doing the work of God. We need to be doing it as quickly as we can. We need to be do, going forward as forcefully as we can to get as much work done as we can before he does come. This is not a time to sit back, let up, watch the world go by, watch the church go by, and all of this stuff. It is a time to get out and do it. It is a time to get busy. It is a time to engage in people's lives and in what God is doing. I read one Bible scholar that estimates that approximately 66% of the teaching of the New Testament is somehow related to the second coming of Christ. I've never taken the time to look through that or anything like that, but there is an enormous amount of biblical truth in that. The study of Bible prophecy. Listen to me. It should be done by interpreting the scripture literally. A literal interpretation of the scripture and in its proper context. Number two, Bible prophecy should be studied with a futurist viewpoint. I talked about that in my Bible class and the fact is most people live, many people in this world, they live with no future. Folks, I have a future. I know what my future is. A future that goes forward. A future that has purpose. A future that has God involved in it. A future that is directed by God. I have a future. And yet there are many people that have no future. They don't see it that way. They see, well, this has been this way before and it goes this way again. It's kind of a big old giant circle that they get caught up in. They go round and around in this thing. Mine has a purpose. I have an objective. I have a goal in my life. The goal that is probably similar to you and your life too. And that's to serve God with diligence, with energy, and with power. I've got all heaven to rest. I'll take a nap then. And in a moment I'll tell you how hard that's going to be. I believe in the pre-tribulation and pre-millennial context, the rapture is going to occur before the great tribulation comes. Now, if you disagree with me, I'm not going to argue with you or fight with you. You'd prefer to go through the tribulation, go ahead. I'm getting out of here. I don't want anything to do with it. I've read the message. It's terrible. But if you want to go through it, go ahead. I'm leaving. I'm going up in the first load. When that trumpet sounds, when that shout of that angel and the voice of God, we're heading out of here. We're heading home. Folks, there's not going to be any more worry. There's not going to be wondering, did the corn come up? Did the corn make it through the flood? And all that, we don't even care. Honestly, when you're heading up to the skies to meet Jesus in the air, who cares? 
Let somebody else worry about it. Let the devil worry about it. I'm going to spend my money on things that can help the kingdom of God grow and develop and move forward and win souls and where God is glorified and victorious. I'm not going to leave it here for the Antichrist. Number three. What are the signs pointing to the return of Jesus? Now, sadly, sadly, the Bible predicts a very downward spiral of catastrophes, of, uh, of growing human sinfulness, of religious apostasy. My goodness, that is in several places in the Bible. Read 1 Timothy chapter 4 or 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you get, I mean, you get a real snapshot there of what's going on. The Bible says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, and evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The bottom line is the world is going to continue to reject God, reject his word, reject his people, and his people will become more, and these people will become more strident as the days are ahead. I've read in the, in the, in the Des Moines Register this week, Horrible things. How in the world, in the heart ba heartland basket, bread basket of America, can a teenage girl starve to death? How does that happen? How does one in West Des Moines starve to death? How can a five-week-old baby be beaten so badly by, by his parents? It's in the hospital in critical condition right now. You talk about evil and a downward spiral of evil. There it is. There's a picture right there. And that's just here in Iowa. It's just here in towns like Pocahontas or Humboldt or Manson or wherever. It's in towns like that that this happened. It's unbelievable. The wickedness and the evil. Someday in the future, in a day that no one knows, God will end the church age, which began the first century on the day of Pentecost. And it's going to end with the event known as the rapture of the church. And at that time, God removes all believers in Christ from the earth in a final preparation for his judgment. When I say church, you, I want you to understand my definition is your, it's not mine. This is Bible definition. He is not talking about Baptists and Lutherans and Methodists and Presbyterians and Assembly of God people or anything like that. He's talking about people who know Christ as the Savior and Lord of their life. They are living for Christ. They are serving Christ. That's who I'm talking about. None of these labels are going to get you into heaven. I don't care what, you can join every church in the county. And that's not going to help you to get to heaven. It's not going to lift you off the ground one foot. We need Christ. Christ in our heart. Christ in our lives. Living in us. Transforming us. Why? Because we repented of our sins and we're walking with him. Here's what Paul says about the rapture of the church. And it's back here in 1 Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the Bible says it this way, and it's a glorious thing. He says, I want to say this to you by the word of the Lord, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven uh, with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Those people that you love, that you stood at their cemetery burial, those people that you went to the funeral and you wept for those people that know Christ, they're going first. And the Bible says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to be together with them in the clouds and will be forever with the Lord. That's what's going on. That's what's happening today. Even though there's a strong attempt to, to marginalize God and his word and the church, when untold numbers of people disappear from this planet, there's going to be widespread panic and there'll be a need for a strong leader to help answer the world's problems. And in my opinion, we are moving rapidly in that direction. Listen to me. The terrible lethal weapons that humanity has discovered and knows how to work. More and more interdependence on, <clears throat> on economies. Technology that has brought humanity to just an incredibly high degree of distress. The world is ripe for a new leader. And there will be one. Number four, will Christians stand before God in judgment? The answer is yes. Jesus warns again and again that everything that we do, whether we're believers or non-believers, will be subject to judgment. Now listen to me carefully. If you've been kind of just kind of coasting, tune in right now. Listen very carefully. I want to be crystal clear about something here. My sins are covered because of the completed work of of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus died and rose again, my sins were forgiven. My sins were forgiven, and God transferred me from my sinful life to the righteousness of God. He did it. I didn't do it. I didn't have anything to do with it. I repented of my sin. Christ said, you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ living in you. Living. Residing in me. <clears throat> and that means I'm forgiven, and it means I'm going to heaven. But there's two scriptures that I want you to understand very carefully. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me tell you something, folks. God saved me for a purpose. Purpose number one was because I was a sinner and I was lost, I was hopeless, and I was hell-bound. Now I'm heaven-bound. But he also saved me with a purpose in mind. There is a purpose for my life. There is a purpose for your life and for your life. I live with that purpose. I live to serve Jesus Christ. How am I doing that? Am I serving him? Am I, am, we, we sit here and we say, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loves me. That's great. I want to sing that too. But we also need to translate that into service. Am I serving him? How am I doing in that area? And at the judgment seat of Christ, this is going to be determined. 
Will I lose out with God? Will I lose my salvation there? No. No, you're not. He has saved you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, in fact, he said he saved you to the uttermost. I mean, you can't get any further than that. He saved you to the uttermost. But what happens at the judgment seat of Christ is that what did I do for Christ? Did I do it for him or did I do it for myself? Did I do it for me so that somebody could applaud me or do something like that? If that's the case, it's going to burn up. It's not going to be anything. Did I do it for him? Am I serving him because I love him? I hope we can answer that correctly and, and, and receive the rewards that is coming. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. Now if anyone builds on a foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Fire, fire not, the, not the fires of hell, but the fires of refinement. I want to send good things forward. I'm not just building a house of straw, a house of wood, or anything like that. But I do want you to know something. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now. Now. Say that word with me, church. Now. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus the Lord. Wow. Isn't that good news? That's stuff worth shouting about. Oh my goodness. I think we should start dancing down the aisles on that one, don't you? Oh boy, stay put. Good. I'm not necessarily opposed to that, though. We had a professor at Trinity Bible College by the name of LaVon Larson, Dr. LaVon Larson. She is an excellent Bible teacher. I'm, I'm sorry, she was an excellent English teacher. But she was, she was as tightly wound as you can get. And <laughs> I always figured, I always said this, I said, the, I said, when I see LaVon Larson come dancing down the middle aisle, I'll know that revival has hit our college. <laughs> anyway, boy, that, I don't know where that fits in here. <laughs> final thing, final thing, one last thing. <clears throat> What is the effect of Bible prophecy on us today? Let me, let me share with you some points here. The effect of Bible prophecy, number one. First is obedience. Number one is obedience. Second, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11 says, We ought to be people of holy conduct and godliness and looking for and hastening the coming day of God. Jesus is saying, be ready for my coming. Live in such a way that we are not ashamed of our behavior. Folks, I'm not necessarily looking at, at North Korea blowing off missiles and Iran going crazy and all of these other things and the earthquakes and all of this. I'm looking for Jesus. My focus is on Christ, not the other stuff. The other stuff is important. I'll see that. I can't avoid that. My focus is on him who comes in the clouds of glory 
who takes us out of this world. I'm not looking for the escape hatch. I'm not looking for the button to push says, get me out of here quick. I want to serve him. I want to live for him. I want to, I want to, I want to walk with him. But I'm looking for him. I'm looking for him. I'm looking for him. I'm looking for him. Be looking for him. Number two, let his people be worshipers. Oh boy, this is going to be something. We must make, first we need to make sure that we're saved. And we're living in a life of gratitude. Let me tell you something. Heaven is going to be a place that is filled with worship. Revelation chapter 5 verse 12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Heaven is going to be loud. Can our organ players please say amen with me? <laughs> For those of you who like it nice and quiet, I like my church nice and quiet. Kind of like a funeral home. <laughs> look, look, don't, don't look for that in heaven. You're going to be disappointed. Heaven is going to be a place of incredible rejoicing, of worship, of praise. It's going to be people shouting. It's going to be people with gladness. It's going to be people with joy that fills their hearts because guess what? We made it. Hallelujah. We made it. We're there. We made it and we're home. We're home. We're home. Number three, let there be proclamation. The message of God's salvation must not be hidden. It cannot be set aside. But it should be shouted from the housetops of every community, of every building in the world. We need to give everyone a chance, an opportunity to respond to the gospel and to be saved. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10 says, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book, for the time is near. Paul said... 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Pray for us that the word may speed and be received with honor. Speed the word. Get it going. Make it happen. That's why we're having a VBS. That's why we're having two VBSs. One for little kids and one for bigger ones. Because we want to speed the gospel. That's why we're planning LifeGate Fellowship. Because we want to speed the gospel. Because people need to hear. People need to understand. People need to, need to, need to acquire Christ as the Savior and Lord of their life. The last response is service to God. Let's carry out his will. Let's serve Jesus in the church. Let's serve him outside the church. Your good works do not determine your acceptance in heaven, but they do show what every believer did with the gifts that God has given you. Dear saints, every, every saint in this room, every person, every individual has a gift that God has given to you. Would you please find a way to employ it for the glory of God? Let God be glorified in that gift. And some of you have got lots of gifts, all kinds of them. They're just oozing out of you. You have a bag full of gifts. Some of you got one gift. Use one gift. Use a whole bag full of gifts. It doesn't matter. 
but use those gifts to the glory of God, to the glory of him who has redeemed you. Janet, would you return, please? Here's my summation. First of all, God is sovereign over all of the events in this world. He's firmly in control. You know what? North Korea blew off another uh, rocket today. Guess what? He knew about that. He knows how this works. Am I worried about that? You know I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I don't want to see this world go up in flames yet. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's people out there that need Christ. There's people out there that need the Lord and they need to know how they can respond to them, Him. They need to know that it's so simple. They don't understand that their lives... I didn't understand this. I thought, you know, I'm a good guy. I've I'm, I'm got an education. I, I'm working hard. I have a nice family. I didn't know I was a sinner. Well, I, maybe I did. I didn't know. I just kind of brushed it off. A lot of people do. A lot of people... You know, I think the good is going to outweigh the bad and God will, you know, we'll make it to heaven. That's not how it works. That's not how the Bible describes it at all. We are all sinners and we've come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, Paul said, is death. I don't like the sound of that. He's talking about me. He's talking about maybe people in this room right now. There's a need for transformation. There's a need to just simply say, Father, I repent of my sin. I want new life. Folks, I want a life that's just, I don't want just a change in my heart. I need a new heart. I need a new one. I just need a brand new one. I don't want to just change my life. I need a new life. It has to change. And God is the one that can do it. God is the one that can turn your life around. It begins with one step at a time. There's no shame to sit in a church service and say, Pastor, you're talking about me today. I want to respond to Christ. I want to respond respond. It's not something we just say, well, you know, I agree with you and, you know, I think you got a good point. I need to respond. I need to take that step, that all-important step, and say, Christ, be the Lord of my life. Live in me. Forgive me. Transform me. Make me a brand new person. Bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus that a message like this has stirred hearts. Not just stirred hearts and sort of energized our curiosity or anything like that. But Father, when I say a stirred heart, I pray that it's a heart that's simply saying, I want to reach out to God right now in my life. I want Jesus Christ to come and live in my life. I want forgiveness of my sin. I'm tired. I'm tired of the load. Father, I've been away from the church. I've been kind of drifting along in my life. And I need to make a really serious recommitment this morning. 
to Christ. I want to do that this, today. I don't want to wait. I want to do it today. I just want to ask while our heads are bowed and eyes closed in the closing moment of this service, would you simply lift your hand and say, Pastor, I want to be praying with you in this final prayer that we're going to pray here in just a moment. I want to pray with you. And I mean it with all of my heart. I want a transformation, a change in my life. I need a new heart. I need it today. Would you just simply lift your hand, put it up, and then put it right down. Put it up, put it down. Thank you. Put it up, put it down. Father, I pray this prayer, a simple prayer of faith and asking these dear ones that lifted their hands and maybe some others that should have, but they didn't. I'm asking them to help them to pray along with me, dear Jesus, come into my life. I admit that I am a sinner and I can't save myself. I'm lost without Jesus. I want a new heart today. I want to walk out of this building knowing that I'm ready for whatever's going to come. I want to be ready for the rapture of the church to be taken into heaven. No matter what life may bring, I want to be ready. I want to know Christ. I believe on Jesus Christ with all of my heart. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose from the dead this morning. I ask him to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. I believe on Jesus and only him for my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? You know, folks, I'm going to tell you something. From my vantage point anyway, sometimes it looks like evil is winning, doesn't it? It looks that way. It looks like evil's got the upper hand. There's a shoving match between Christians and the world today. And it's very real. There's times when we may get knocked down. And we may get kicked around a little bit. But let me tell you something. At the end of the day, at the end of this life, we win. And folks, we win big. This isn't a one-point squeaker. It's a blowout. And we win. We win. Never forget that. Never forget that. Lift your hands with me for the blessing of God. Father, may the Lord bless and keep your wonderful saints. These people who love you, let them be loved by you evermore, more real in their life than they've ever experienced. Father, I pray for those who need a further word of encouragement. I pray, let that come quickly this week. Father, let the, let the blessing of God flow into their lives. Cause your face to shine upon their life, their home, their family. Bless graduates today in special ways. Let them be mighty soldiers for the cross of Jesus Christ. And let all of us take our place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you.